You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we are so very blessed to be able to gather and worship you, to receive from your word and your sacrament all that is needed to bring you to us and us to you. Bless our reflection now upon your word that we might come to you in a spirit of truth, being built up not only in our minds and our hearts, but for great service to your people. This we ask in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So, ever been in an argument? You ever been in an argument when you reach the place in the argument where you knew you had to win? <laughs> Maybe you almost forgot what you were arguing about. <laughs> but the desire to win an argument is deeply seated in our natures. It's really hard when you get into an argument with someone to remember that they're not necessarily your enemy or even adversary. They may be your best friend, they may be your spouse. But in that moment, you just want to beat them and prove yourself right. <laughs> it's a dangerous thing. It holds us back from many blessings in this life. First of all, it's driven by pride and ego, and that's never a good thing. And second of all, it removes from us the blessing of maybe learning something in the discussion and growing. But when that impulse to win an argument, which is just seems to be rooted in our nature. We can overcome it with some effort. When that gets allied with the desire to win for the other person's good, then there's real potential that our desire can become tyrannical or even demonic. If you have heard language about woke politics or cancel culture, if you've heard about oppressive situations on college campuses or in corporate boardrooms now where people don't feel free to speak their mind or disagree with a presenter because that person has a lot of backing, that is driven by this very impulse. Good people wanting to do good things, but so sure they're right that they're willing to make you think and speak like they do for your own good or for someone else's. Now this is an impulse that religious people should recognize as a temptation in the spiritual life. Because Christians have fallen into it many, many times throughout history. During the Reformation, could you click on that PowerPoint and go forward one for me? During the Reformation, this guy 
was a fellow professor of Martin Luther's at the University of Wittenberg. The woodcut on the left is him. Um, the picture on the right is the actor who played him in the Martin Luther movie of a couple years ago. His name was Andreas von Karlstadt. Now, Karlstadt was a kind of a latecomer to the Reformation. Luther was the one who kicked it off. But once he got involved, he got zealous. He got into, the, into it. And in fact, he took things a lot further than Luther would. During one of his sermons, this is what he said. Referring to Christian practices with which he disagreed and he wanted to see changed, he said, We ought to take such harmful things away from the weak and tear them out of their hands with no regard to whether they might cry, shout, or flee because of it. For the time will come when those who now curse and swear at us will thank us. Now I ask you, when I see a small infant holding a sharp pointed knife in his hands, one he would love to keep, do I show brotherly love toward the child when I yield to its will and leave the harmful knife so that it might hurt and kill itself? Or rather, when I break its will and take away the knife? You will have to say, when you take away from the child, what could harm it? You do a fatherly and a brotherly Christian deed. What they call brotherly love is in fact brotherly harm and offense. Their love is the kind of love which senseless mothers show to their children who let their children have their own will and thus leading them to the gallows. It's pretty strong. It's that impulse to do good for somebody allied with this argumentative spirit. Luther came out of hiding. He had been sequestered by his friends because there was a death sentence over his head. He came out of hiding to preach against this in a series of sermons called the Invocative Sermons because Luther knew that God's way of getting things done was through the preaching of the Word which persuaded the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, not physical force. John the Baptist knew this too. As we just heard our passage about John the Baptist from the Gospels. John never tried to compel people to repent of their sins. John wasn't in a position to do so in any event. In fact, John was out in the wilderness. Now here's a guy who needed to watch a few YouTube videos on how to put together a good home broadcast because he didn't dress well. He didn't bathe. He ate lousy food. He wasn't looking the part of the social influencer. <laughs> but he had a powerful word from God. And he preached it and relied upon the Holy Spirit to convict and persuade people's hearts. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, people came to the wilderness to hear him preach. Now, we shouldn't hear that like it's a nice walk in Jacobsburg Park for us. The wilderness was a dangerous place in his day and age. Not only were there lions and tigers and bears, oh my! It was the place beyond the walls of the city, beyond the bounds of polite society. It was a place where the guards and and the soldiers didn't keep the streets and the roads free. It was the place where bandits and murderers slept, waiting for the unsuspecting to pass by so they could pillage them and murder them. 
But people braved that danger to come hear John's not-so-encouraging message. (laughs) Because his message had the ring of truth, for it was a word from God. And he preached it faithfully. And in doing so, he was no different than the Old Testament prophets. All of whom preached faithfully the word God had given them to persuade the hearts of God's people to return to Him when they had strayed away. God never forced the people to come back. They could go as far away as they wanted, even to their own destruction. But God sought to woo them back through the power of His Word. And He sent messengers to preach that Word. You can't accomplish God's will by other than God's means. But the church has tried over and over again. And those are things we need to repent of. Because every time we've done it, we've given a black eye to the church and we've made a horrible witness to our Lord. Today there are many people opposed to Christianity. When you ask why, they cite things like this. The Crusades. Well, to be sure, there's some pretty complex history around the Crusades, which isn't often told. But the way most people see the Crusades as Christians trying to force others to believe what we believe. That's the popular story about the Crusades. They'll mention things like the Spanish Inquisition, where people were were rounded up and tortured for either not being Christians or for having the wrong Christian opinions about things. They'll cite things like the Salem Witch Trials here in our own American history. When I was a senior in high school, our play was The Crucible by Arthur Miller. And oddly enough, though I was an atheist at the time, I ended up playing Reverend Hale. (laughs) And you may have heard of a spate of books that came out through the early 2000s by this group called The New Atheist. Those books were directly inspired by the 9-11-2001 attacks on the Twin Towers. Because they consider that part and parcel of all religion is this desire to force other people to believe what you want to believe. And Christianity just happens to be the religion of the West where these people live. So that was what they attacked first. But they were really attacking all religion. Now, this should never be an option for Jews but especially for Christians who in addition to having to follow the Old Testament example of preaching by persuasion and bringing people to faith by persuasion are also required to do it with gentleness and respect according to 1 Peter 3.15. We are never to try and force people to our way of thinking because God's desire is more than to win an argument with His errant and rebellious children. It's to win their hearts. If you win the argument and lose the person, you still lose. I want to tell you somebody who learned that lesson well. This guy. Nicholas of Myra, otherwise known as Saint Nicholas. Today's his feast day, so I just got a chance to preach and use him as an example on his feast day. Here you see him pictured as a young man, as our kids will learn in online Sunday school today. This little crook here, this special staff, how it's crooked over as a shepherd's crook. That plus the hat means he was a bishop. He had oversight responsibilities. 
When you look at an icon of a bishop, you'll see them holding a book of the Gospels. And in Nicholas's case, he's holding three bags of gold. We'll get to those in a minute. But Nicholas was, had an amazing life. Nicholas was born in this part of the world. Uh, the what, Eastern Mediterranean. This is obviously Italy and Sicily. You've got Greece over here. And this is Tur- modern-day Turkey. These are the names of the places at the time Nicholas was alive. Um, these were Greek colonies along this coast here, on the west coast of Turkey. And that's where Nicholas was born. Nicholas was, was born, we're going to do a little close-up here. He was born in the town of Patara. Here's a nice little icon I found of him as a young man, before he grew his beard in. Now, Nicholas had an amazing uh, growing up because he was a little out of step with the rest of his culture. See, his parents were Christians, and this was a time when the emperor was persecuting Christians. But they still raised him to know Jesus and the God who Jesus revealed and to be faithful to him. But as a very young man, about the age of our first communicants or or roundabouts, maybe just a little bit older, Nicholas's parents died in a plague much like the one we are experiencing, but a much more deadly one that took many more lives. Nicholas, though, continued to go to church. And one time he heard the pastor preach on the passage from the Gospel of Luke where Jesus tells the rich young man, says to him, sell all that you have and follow me. And for some reason he heard those words as directed directly at him. So he liquidated everything he inherited from his parents, gave all the money to the poor, reserving only enough money for himself to get on a boat and sail first to Egypt which was the site of God's first saving activity in the Exodus story where he brought his people out of slavery and into freedom. And then he traveled over to Jerusalem where he saw God's greatest, the site of God's greatest saving act in the cross where he set his people free from their slavery to sin, death, and the devil. After being to these places and studying and praying and learning in them, he returned back to Western Asia to the town of Myra and people recognized his holiness and his love for God and they quickly made him a bishop which means just a pastor with oversight back in those days bishops didn't get their own offices you were just a pastor of a local congregation you were helping other congregations so Nicholas became a bishop in the church precisely when the persecution got the worst so what happened right away was he was thrown in prison where he was tortured and beaten and starved all for the sake of being a Christian. In fact, this persecution was so bad that um, historians at the time said there was no room in the prisons for the murderers and the rapists because it was full of Christian pastors and deacons and lay people. But eventually a new emperor came along and ascended the throne and he made Christianity legal eventually. And he called a council because an argument had erupted in the church and he didn't want to see this newly legalized religion become a source of chaos in his empire. So he called this council named Nicaea. Because a young presbyter named Arius from uh, up around Libya had started a controversy. Now, Arius was kind of the opposite of John the Baptist, whereas John the Baptist needed a little coaching on his public presentation. Arius was really good. Arius was a songwriter, and he took his, his, 
innovative ideas about Jesus and put them in songs that people would sing on the docks as they were working. So his kind of errant ideas spread really quickly and caused chaos uh, throughout the Christian um, things. They actually had things like the Boston Tea Party, believe it or not. They were ransacking ships and throwing things overboard if you were on the wrong side of the controversy. It was crazy. So Constantine calls this, this meeting to say, let's just settle the issue. And in the middle of that gathering of bishops, many of whom, just like Nicholas, had been in prison and tortured under the previous emperor, at one point, Nicholas got so incensed with this young uh, presbyter named Arius that he stood up and he slapped him. Depending on, your, on how you hear the story, he either slapped him or he punched him. I found this sort of modern comic book version of it. He, look, he looks like he's going, he's like Captain America going for the knockout with Thanos. I mean, <laughs> um, this immediately got him thrown in prison again by the new emperor. While he was in prison that time, he came to repentance and he had a vision of Jesus and the Virgin Mary. And Jesus told him, you're going to get reinstated as bishop. You're going to go back to that debate and you're going to behave like the man I called you to behave as. You were better in prison than you were in council. You're going to learn to be good in council. <laughs> and that's exactly what Nicholas did. He went back, he was reinstated by the bishop, showed his public repentance, went back to the Council of Nicaea, and by debate, focusing on the Word of God, opening the Scriptures, and discussing what they read there, the council came around, many people changed their minds, and by a vote of three to three hundred, roughly, condemned the young presbyter Arius' new teaching, his innovative teaching, and they produced for us the document we know as the Nicene Creed that we say every Sunday when we get together in worship. That's the Greek version right there. <laughs> but all of this is not why we know Nicholas, is it? No, we know Nicholas for his generosity. The zeal that led him to, in error, slap a heretic rather than try to persuade him from the Word of God also led the young, repentant Nicholas into deeper and deeper generosity. As he walked closer with his Lord, who had given him all of himself for his salvation, he learned to be generous in turn. And here's a couple stories you won't hear in the Christmas specials leading up to December 25th this year. Times when things like Nicholas saw three young men being taken out into the public square for execution and he knew they were innocent, so he threw his body between the executioners and the young men. How after his time in prison, he saw that people were being oppressed by demonic spirits, so he preached and preached and preached until people abandoned the temple of Artemis and started to build churches again. And of course, in his mo most famous episode, there were three young ladies in his congregation who were so poor they couldn't get married. See, in those day and age, that day and age, you had to have a dowry as a woman to get married because they'd be able to bring something to the marriage and you couldn't earn a living. They were too poor to ever get married and they were sad about it. So, probably out of his own funds, Nicholas found enough money for not one dowry, but for three. And he snuck to the window and dropped them in. This is a, uh, this is a Renaissance picture. That's why it looks a little strange, the, their, their dress. 
But he drops through the window the little pouches of gold so that they could get married. This picture is from one of our family's favorite books. Um, it's called St. Nicholas, The Real Story of the Christmas Legend by Julie Stegemeyer. And uh, it's full of beautiful oil paintings like the one you see there uh, that are just gorgeous. Uh, go to Concordia Publishing you can get, or Amazon. You can get it off the internet. We'll have a link in the recording broadcast after this. It'll become a family keepsake. I guarantee it. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. But that generosity led Nicholas to have a close to 1,700-year legacy now. Doing God's will by God's means made such an impact on the world that his generosity serves as an inspiration to others to this day. We may never have that kind of impact. But as we wait for our Lord to come again in glory, as we remember his coming in humility, as we think of the generosity of a God who would give his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life, we can be as generous as Nicholas and make a tremendous impact on the lives of those around us. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord Jesus, we thank you for your generosity in giving yourself for our salvation. And we thank you for the lives of your faithful servants who inspire us and have passed along the stories of our salvation faithfully. We thank you this day for Nicholas and ask that as he learned to be generous from you, so we might learn too to be generous. That we might try to persuade others of the truth of your gospel by lives lived in kindness and service and by reasoning from your scriptures. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would add his power to our efforts, that hearts and minds, all of our hearts and minds, might grow ever closer to you. This we ask in your blessed name, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. My vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my life.